fade to black, bring up lights. Good morning, church. It's great to see you this morning. Hey, if you've got a copy of God's Word, would you turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6? Happy Father's Day to you fellows. It's good to be a dad today. Uh, while you're turning there, I want to put a couple of things in front of you. The first is a unique service opportunity within our church. Uh, some of you uh, we know really full well have unique sets of gifts. And sometimes from time to time, those unique sets of gifts are handy. Maybe you feel like you'd like to serve, but you feel like, you know, I, I can't commit to regular, constant things. Well, uh, this is a service opportunity that allows you to dial in when you can. It's, it, in fact, the, the, the team is called the Capture Team. Now, at first glance, that sounds like we're going to be gathering up wild animals. But what we're trying to do with the Capture Team is to take pictures and capture moments of what God is doing in and through our church. So for those of you across all of our campuses, if you have a gifting in that and you'd like to serve in that, you go ahead and check that out. You can, we'll leave it up while I'm talking. Uh, the second thing to put in front of you is just a reminder that our senior pastor is on his sabbatical. So just to remind you to keep praying, right? This is not a, we prayed for him once and it's done. And by the way, don't you dare, don't you dare just pray for him. Okay, this is Christie's sabbatical too. So be praying for the two of them, be praying for their family, that God would use this time to refresh and to restore and draw them deeper into him and uh, bring them back to us just in amazing form. So do be praying for them. And then the third thing we can be praying for uh, is this weekend, this, in fact, tonight, we are sending our students off to beach camp. So some of you are doing that. I'm doing that. Slightly terrified at that, but it's going to be great. Uh, let's be praying that God be moving, changing hearts, maybe even transforming lives, renewing affections in Christ, and maybe for the very first time bringing forth affections in Christ. These are good things to pray for. So why don't we pray for that as we start today? Would you bow with me? Father, we thank you for the opportunity it is to gather together today and to give thanks to you for all the good things you have given. And as Pastor Matt said, Lord, to celebrate our fathers here as reflections of the good and awesome Heavenly Father we have in you. We thank you, Lord, for these examples. Uh, you have a good dad, it's a great example. You have a bad dad, some of us. It's a reminder of a great and awesome Heavenly Father. Lead us, Lord, to you today, even as we would worship. And Lord, we do commit these things to you, Lord, our students leaving today. We pray for lives to be transformed by the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of our students are following hard after the things of the world and need to hear from you. So, Lord, I pray that you would be speaking into their lives through the various events, God. Protect our students physically. Protect them also spiritually. Open up hearts, please, we pray. And, God, for our senior pastor and his family, Lord, we pray for uh, Pastor Key and Christy, Lord, that this time be a refreshing time for them. Lord, fill them. Rest them physically. Rest them spiritually. Draw them close to you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for this opportunity we have to study your word. We thank you, Lord, for its living and active nature. We thank you, Lord, that we hold a book that can detonate our lives in great ways. And we pray for that again this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, task at hand. 
We are in the book of Deuteronomy. We are rounding a bend in our series. This Deuteronomy book on the boundary line, this is the second time the Israelites have stood on the edge of the boundary. The first time didn't go so well. The second time Moses stands with the children of the Israelites and calls them to remember. Several sermons, in fact, given is the book of Deuteronomy, calling them to remember, remember, remember. They're about to step into the good land. They're called to remember. And so in week one, they were called to remember the good lessons that they were taught when their parents failed. And then in week two, we've been looking at the text and seeing how they've been called to remember the commands of the Lord. And then last week, looking at the provision of the Lord and how he has satisfied them. We've seen his voice and his power in their lives. And the book of Deuteronomy communicates to us the truth that sometimes the best way forward is by looking backwards. Looking back helps us to remember. That's what the book of Deuteronomy is all about. And even though you and I, even though you and I right now in 2023 are separated by two or three and a half millennia from the events of this day. Uh, We're not Jewish people, not enslaved formerly in Egypt, not freed by miracles, not carried through the desert for 40 years, uh, not armed with swords, I hope, and and we're not also about to step into a promised land. What we're learning, even though this is true, our reality is the same reality for the Israelites. The truths that the Israelites are hearing are the same truths that we need to hear today. And we, too, are called to remember his lessons. We, too, are called to hear his voice and remember his power. Even as we move ahead in uncertain times, this is what we need the most. Okay, thus far, if you're keeping track, all we have seen in this series so far is the handiwork of God. Now, in this day, we're being drawn in to meet the actual artist. Today we encounter the holiness of God. And spoiler alert, when you encounter the holiness of God, your lives are changed. Deuteronomy chapter 6 begins this way. It'll be on the screen, or if you've got it in your Bibles, verse 1 says this. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land in which you are going over to possess it. Verse 2, that you may fear the Lord your God, You and your son and your son's son by keeping all the statutes and his commands which I command you all the days of your life and that your days may be long. Now we're called today to remember the holiness of God and when we do that I think it's really helpful for us to put up a definition. So here's a definition for us, working definition of what holiness is. It refers to the essential nature of God which characterizes him as set apart from his creation and having absolute moral and ethical purity. That's a big definition, but we'll unpack it. God is separate from us is the first piece. God is separate. He is way far and above us as his creation. He is the creator. He is distinct. He is not dependent upon us for anything. In fact, we are dependent upon him for everything. He sits enthroned in time and space. He is absolutely omniscient. He is absolutely omnipotent. God is set apart. He is not like anything or anyone. He is set apart. That is half of the definition of God's holiness. There's nobody like him. But the second half of the definition is that God cannot sin. 
and he cannot be corrupted by sin. He's the absolute definition of moral purity, no trace of evil, none whatsoever. He never acts, he never thinks, he never has a heart of evil ever. That's what it means to say God's holiness. We're going to be brought face to face with that holiness today, that God is astonishingly set apart, and he is astonishingly pure. Okay, why is that so important? Why do we need to talk about this? Why do we need to think about it? Why do we need to believe it? Why do we need to remember it? Why can't it just be something that we just say and move along with? We heard about it over in Sunday school. Why do we need to think about it today? Well, one of the pastors from the previous century put it this way, and I like it. He said this, the first step down for any church is taken when it surrenders its high opinion of God. In other words, you redefine God as something that he's not, it's game over. Uh, you know, I'll, he's not so set apart. He's just not so pure. See, when you bring in a lower view of God and reimagine him to be something that he's not, things change drastically and not for the good. Low views of God kill our worship. Low views of God stop our prayers. Low views of God keep us from seeking him because he's not strong enough and he's not smart enough, so why bother? Low views of God disrupt our dependence on him, and so we uproot ourselves from peace and joy and strength and endurance in life. Low views of God trivialize our sin. Low views of God destroy the gospel. Low views of God lift man up to being places where they're not supposed to be. Low views of God turn a church to becoming irrelevant and impotent, seeing no power at all within its midst. We don't want a low view of God. In contrast to this, the high, holy view of God is what we're looking for. What happens when we have this high, holy view? Well, we'll see. What we're going to see, though, before we begin is that we need a realignment in our thinking. Let me put it this way, okay? Imagine you and I take a trip to the Grand Canyon. I have never been to the Grand Canyon. Truth. I really, really want to go to the Grand Canyon in my lifetime also true. So you and I, because you're so nice to me, we pack up our families in a 2022 Thor Miramar church. I had to look this up. Deluxe RV, okay? This thing is the Cadillac of RVs. Thank you so much for the invitation. I'm riding shotgun next to you while our families are eating in the back, chatting, eating sandwiches, chatting it up, watching the TV. It's a great ride. It's so cush, in fact, reclining as I am, that I have fallen asleep. We are nearing the edge of the Grand Canyon, and you start tapping my shoulder, and I start slowly waking up, and then you say to me, hey, Craig, we're here. We are here, and I'm so enthralled with the ride that I'm like, yeah, it's okay. It's great. We're here. It's great. We're here. And then what happens is you roll around, and then you tap me again and shake me again and say, look out the window, man. There is the Grand Canyon. There it is right there. And then when I see it, you see where I'm going? The scope of it, the size of it, as I can only imagine. Aren't you so happy for the day I get to see the Grand Canyon? I'm going to come back and tell you all about it because it's going to be amazing. You get to see it, and I can't believe it, and it absolutely floors me. And you know what I'm not saying in that moment in the Grand Canyon, standing near the Grand Canyon? I'm not saying, look at me. 
Look at the amazing shirt I've got on today. That's not what happens, right? You say, oh, that's incredible. I so hope it does. This view changes the way I think. So too the view of the holiness of God. It changes the way I think. It transforms me. And here's the thing, church. When we realign our thinking with what God's word actually says about himself, when we come into that right relationship with him, we begin to understand more clearly God's holiness than we wake up and we look out the window of the RV and things change drastically for us. So we remember today the holiness of God and how it will transform us. So how does this happen? Let's talk quickly about this and look at the text. We saw the first way that this holiness transforms us. It's a little strange. It transforms us by fear. Verse 2 said this, that you may fear the Lord your God. That seems strange. But the truth we're getting from God's word today is that when you are confronted with the holiness of God, and you are seeing more correctly who he is, his perfection, his power, his holiness. A, tra- a reverential fear rises up in your heart. It's not all jokey, jokey, hey, God, how's it going? Hey, what's up, God? The fact of the matter is, though, we are more afraid of temporal things than we are of God. We are more afraid of spiders and heights and crime and sickness and even death. Now, why is this? Why is it that I am more afraid of brown recluse spiders than I am of God? Listen, listen, here's the answer. The answer is not because I'm overreacting to spiders. It's because I'm underreacting to who God is. Let me take you to a spot in the Bible. We're going to jump from Deuteronomy to the end scene in the book of Revelation. And I want to show you how one man reacts to the presence of God. It's a first-hand account in Revelation chapter 1. We read this, picking it up in verse 12. I saw one like a son of man. Listen to the description. Clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. His face was like the sun shining at full strength. And then this, verse 17, that when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. That's fear, reverential fear. That's a man understanding that he is in the awesome presence of God. Oh, for this to happen in our hearts, church. By the way, who was that man? If you know the book of Revelation, that was written by John, the apostle John. The apostle that the gospels described as the one who Jesus loved. The apostle as Jesus hung on the cross, called out to this man, John, and said, you, you look after my mother, Listen, if anyone had the right to go up and say, Jesus, jokey, jokey, how's it going? Where have you been? It was John. But that's not what he did. His reaction, he drops. And the reverential fear comes in his heart. That, that's John understanding holiness. The full presence of God's holiness brings him to his knees. Nobody stands in Jesus' presence unless Jesus lifts him up. 
were transformed by fear. For the Israelites, this reverential fear was to lead them to obedience and right living and ultimately blessing. Back in Deuteronomy chapter 6, we see the blessing that's promised in verse 3. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in a land flowing with milk and honey. See, God was trying to bring them blessing. And when you were dealing with the one who has limitless power, it's right for you to have fear. But with God, it's a fear that leads you into blessing. But the Israelites struggled with this, as you and I might struggle with this. Because honestly, wouldn't you struggle with this? That God wants you to fear him? I might. I might not want to get near him. But thanks be to God, there's a second piece to how the holiness of God transforms us. It's the second piece that unlocks the first piece. It makes sense of the first piece. We're transformed by fear. Yes, that makes sense. But there's a second way. Look at verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Transformed by fear, yes, but secondly, transformed by love. Now, in the text that we just read, I put verse 4 in bold behind us. That's Deuteronomy 6.4. That's perhaps the most, the most important verse in all of the Hebrew scriptures. Even today, it's precious to the Jewish people. It's only six words in Hebrew, and it conveys, carries with it, it's known as the Shema, because the first word in that verse in Hebrew is this word Shema, which means to hear. And it's not just, oh, I listen. It means I'm intently understanding. I'm paying attention. I'm paying attention to what God is saying. God is one. He is singular. He is only God. The only God. I will worship the only God. There is no one like the only God. There is no God but the only God. Hear this. Israel, he says. In other words, he's separate from everything else. He is unique. He is holy. Do not think that I am like anything else, he says, or anyone else. I am the only God, the only God. And verse 5, you shall love me. You shall love me with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, might. Now, that conveys the totality of who you are. Like you would say from head to toe, from sea to shining sea, from A to Z, it means everything that you are. It's the bookends of the whole being, meaning God wants me to love him with everything I have, with my actions, with my mind, with my heart. God doesn't just want automatons who are walking around, acting blindly, doing the right thing all the time, without ever thinking about it, without ever feeling it. God doesn't want us walking around memorizing systematic theologies without ever acting on it, without ever feeling it. God wants the whole thing. God wants you to love him with everything you have, including your actions, including your mind. In fact, in the New Testament, Jesus, the Son of God, very God of very God, in Matthew 22, is trapped, or so he thinks, by a lawyer who says, oh, of, of the 630-some-odd commandments in the Old Testament, Jesus, which do you think is the best? I'll see if we can catch him on this. And Jesus answered, here's the best. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might. He wants your love. Now think about that for just a second. 
If you or I were to sit down and to write the most important law of God without knowing the scriptures, would you start there? Would you say that that's the most important thing that our God wants from us? According to the world standards, that sounds strange. The thing that God wants from us, says friends and family and others around us, is the thing that God wants from us is we should just obey God. The thing that God wants from us is that we should just submit ourselves to God. The thing that God wants from us is we should just sacrifice to God. But that would be wrong. God starts with love. Now, why did God start with love? Three reasons. Because love is not an emotion like we think in the West. Love carries emotion, but it's a commitment. It's a devotion. It's a holding your hand and never letting go of you. It's committing to never leave you when you're sick, never leave you when, even when you hurt me. It's committing to you even when I'm confused by you. I will hold your hand no matter what because that's what actually love is. It's not always the warm fuzzies, right? It's a commitment. It's a seeking the goodwill of another person at the expense of my own. Love is not simply an emotion. Here's the second reason. Be why did God start with love? Because that's the way that God loves us. That's what God has done for us. Well before this point in Israel's history, God has demonstrated and called his people loved. He has shown them not warm, fuzzy feelings kind of love, but a commitment. Uh, sacrificing his honor to save them, to rescue them, to carry them through the wilderness, to feed them in the midst of the wilderness. His people delivering this way. I'm sacrificing for you so that you would find blessing and honor. That's the definition of love, says God. That's a self-giving sacrifice. Move ahead the clock 1,500 years into the New Testament. You see the self-giving sacrifice of God once again on display. As the Lord Jesus Christ, equal with God the Father, condescends, becomes one of us, walks a life of obedience, is rejected and despised by men, willingly goes to the cross for our lives, that we might have life and sacrifice and peace and hope and joy with him, be forgiven of all of our sins. That's what love looks like. The sacrifice of the life of the Son of God. That's how God loves us. That's why God starts with love. But there's a third reason. Why does God start with love? Because love is actually the key to understanding fear. Think about this for a second. Back to spiders. If you're afraid of spiders, do you go near spiders? You don't, right? You call your husband. You call your wife to come get your spiders. If you're afraid of heights, you avoid them. If you're afraid of sickness, you try and stay well. If you're afraid of clowns, you don't go to birthday parties. If you're afraid of God being a punishing, angry God, you don't want anything to do with him. But when you are transformed by the holiness of God, and you understand the reverential fear mixed with the overflowing ocean of love that God has for you. That fear, even though it's great, draws you into his presence. It doesn't push you away. Yes, it's dangerous to go to the edge at the Grand Canyon. But why wouldn't you do it? It's glorious. That's what God's holiness does to us. It draws us into his presence. This transforms us when we behold his glory. 
when we see his holiness, we start to understand, my God is great. He is immense beyond imagination. He has measured all of eternity and, and holds all the waters in the span of his hands. He's unimaginably awesome in his perfections. He's absolutely righteous and he's just in all of his ways. He has been unbelievably good and merciful to me as the creator and sustainer of my life. Every breath, every heartbeat, every function, every organ of my body is a gift from him. My life in every way is and always will be utterly dependent upon him. This wonderful God, this supremely awesome God loves me so much, calls me into his presence. And that love, church, transforms us. It turns us from being weak, ineffectual Christians to shifting it into high gear. Whatever it takes, whatever it costs, I will follow him. Look at what my God has done for me. Now, in what ways does it transform us? We've seen how it, how it transforms us through this complex mixture of fear and love. We understand it now. But now, how does it change the way we live? Well, this is the third point, and for this, I'll move a little quicker. We've got the fruit of transformation in the rest of the verses in front of us. How am I transformed? Well, look at verse 6. I'm transformed internally. Verse 6, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. The words are not burdens to be carried, but delights to be stored in my heart. So I wallpaper them on my heart. Put that one up on this side. The Lord is my shepherd. Put this one up here. While I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. Over here, as far as the east is from the west, so the love of God has separated me from my sins. How about this one over here? I have peace with God through Jesus Christ. I've been given the right to be called a child of God over here. There's no condemnation for me in Christ Jesus. Nothing will ever separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. I am coming soon. Yes and amen, Jesus. You wallpaper your heart. In the moments when you need it the most, your heart goes back to his voice. And now it's a small thing to walk in obedience to him, transformed as I am internally. But that internally also bleeds out externally as well. Look at verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be like frontlets between your eyes, and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and your gate. What happens when I remember the holiness of God? How am I transformed internally? Yes, it changes the way I live, but it also can't be bottled out, bottled up. It's got to come out. We teach of them, we talk of them, we bind them, we write them. We fill our hearts with the truths of God. It's my heart. It's in the conversations I have with my kids. It's in the conversations I have at work. It's plastered on the walls of my house, literally. I got a tattooed on my hands. Go do that right now. Go get a tattoo right now, kids, okay? No, maybe not, okay? What happens? It's got to come out, right? It's got to come out of my life. It changes the way I live. It's all over everything I do. What's more, let's read down to verse 13. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob to give to you with great and good cities that you did not build, that, and houses full of good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that are not yours to dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, verse 12, 
Then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you should fear. Him you shall serve and by his name you shall swear. Here's another fruit of our lives when we're transformed by the holiness. We serve him and we won't forget him. That's the key. You want to walk in obedience? Walk up to the holiness of God. You won't ever change. So many struggling with obedience have such a diminished view of who God is. Not just in, only in his greatness, but also in his overwhelming love for you. But we remember his holiness. That's the key, though. The key that unlocks it all. That makes obedience possible. And the fear of him and the love of him combined to a grand and awesome and glorious picture of him. Now, just as we close... I want to take you back up to the New Testament. In John chapter 14, Jesus, again, the incarnate Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, very God of very God, stands there in front of his disciples, and he gives this prayer in John 14 through 17, this amazing high priestly prayer. And he's talking to his disciples, and he says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. You understand this? That when we love God, it's proven by how we obey God. And I can say this, and we can say this from Deuteronomy 6, if you don't love God, you won't obey him. Because the key to obedience is love. But then the promise goes on, and Jesus says this, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And now watch this. And I will love him. And manifest myself to him. You can keep your Grand Canyon all day. If I can have that in my life, a greater understanding of the manifest presence of Christ, face to face with you, Jesus, I can live my entire life and never go and see that. Just give me Jesus. See, when we remember the holiness of God, we get this. Come on. Come on. That's what I want for me. That's what I want for you. That's what I want for our church. Help us, Lord. Help us. Can we pray? Father, we thank you for your word, which points us to truth. Again, reminded that you are not the great and terrifying God who is so mad and so disappointed and so terrifying that we never draw near to you. But you are the good God who has shown his love for us in that while even we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This, this God is what changes our lives. So we pray, Lord, please, draw us into a renewed perspective. Take the Windex on the windows. Clean the glasses, Lord. Step us out of the vehicle so we can see more clearly who you are. Lord, I pray for hearts drawing in right now. I pray for hearts who are saying, yes, Lord, more of that, please. I want that in my life, please. Maybe even this Father's Day, an opportunity to look around and say, Lord, what is it that I am prioritizing most in my home? 
for my family. Change us, Lord. Draw us into your love, your forgiveness, your grace. And yes, Lord, your holiness. Change us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.